opened your copy of the Word to Psalm 13. We've been doing a series of messages on living without, last week living without answers, for that living without the life we wanted. Next week, living without regret, being able to finish well and have no regret. This morning, I want us to think about the, the subject of living without healing. Think with me about the Apostle Paul for just a minute. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was a faith healer. He could pray and people got healed. And yet he was one of those who was afflicted physically with a thorn in the flesh. And it bothered him so much and his ministry so much. He specifically requested that God heal him from it three times and God didn't heal. Paul lived the rest of his life without healing. He needed a friend named Trophimus, a good friend. Trophimus was a fellow minister. Again, Paul, a faith healer, the scripture says, left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why would you do that to a friend if you have power to heal? Trophimus lived his life without healing. And then Paul turned over his ministry to Timothy. And he knew Timothy not only had stomach problems, but the scripture says frequent ailments. And Paul's uh, suggestion to Timothy is, why don't you try a little wine for that? Meaning, that's pain management. You're not going to be healed. Timothy lived the rest of his life without healing. There are people that sometimes say, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. Or if you have the right diet, you would be healed. Or if you do the right exercise, you would be healed. If you go to the right doctor, you would be healed. If you go down to Mexico instead of America, you would be healed. And yet, some of the most righteous, godly ministers in the Bible lived their lives without healing. Maybe you're one of those people. And you've tried the diet and the exercise and the doctor and the special trips. And you've tried faith. And yet, pain lingers. There's several kinds of pain we put into categories. We call it acute pain and chronic pain. Acute pain being that sharp pain that makes us go, ow! You know, and, but it temper, it's temporary. It goes away. I'm not talking about that pain this morning. That happens to us, but I want us to consider chronic pain, the kind of pain that exhausts us for weeks and months and years, and sometimes the rest of our lives are afflicted with pain so much that it's a war every day to get out of bed, and we're tempted to grumble and complain and just call it quits, and yet we move on. How do we live like that? How do we live without healing? Psalm 13 is a great place to go for some answers. And that's why I want to take us this morning. The psalmist is taking his pain to God in prayer. He's asking very specific petitions. And then he ends up with praise. I think that's a good lifestyle. 
and a good model for us. Let's work through it. First of all, giving yourself to God. And notice how he does it in verses 1 and 2. Notice as I read the phrase, how long, or the question, four times. How long, O Lord? See, this is not acute pain. This is chronic. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The King David here is, he's afflicted. And this pain is so great to him that it's in the category of, uh, you know, you think, is my life really worth it? This is too much. How long will I have to endure this? It's day after day and month after month and year after year, and I'm about done. How long? Is there any more time left? Am I going to have to do this for the rest of my life? That was the hurt that David experienced. And, you know, it's, he's, he's giving it to God because that matters. You know, you, you've probably all sung the song, not necessarily the, the tune or the words, but you've sung the concept, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. And why do you sing that melody? Because you think that if somehow I can communicate to someone else that my sorrow is really serious, it really matters, and I am in real pain, that maybe somebody will get up off their feet and do something and help me. And that's exactly what David's asking God to do. God, if you would just see and look, you would know I'm at my threshold. How long will this pain continue? He needs help. And he seems to indicate, seems like, God, I've lost you. Will you forget me? The word. Verse 1. Second one. Your face seems hidden from me. I mean... You remember from last week, Psalm 22, that phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David kind of coming back with that. I feel like I've been forsaken. I feel like your face is hidden from me. Now stop and think about that a minute. Does God ever turn his face? Does God ever forsake? Well, there's a sense in which we all do that. Playing with one of the little girls before church this morning, peekaboo. You ever done that? You hide your face, right? Does that mean you've hidden your love? No. The reason sometimes we hide our face as we're playing peekaboo is because we love. Because we care about that person in front of us. When you get up, some of you who go to work outside the home or even inside the home, you've got an office or something, you turn your back to your family and you close the door. So you've hidden your face. You've forsaken them, but that doesn't mean you've abandoned them. The very reason you're going to work is for them. So there's a sense in when your face can be hidden, and it does look like you've forsaken, and yet nothing of the kind has happened at all. Let me show you some verses. Look at Isaiah 54, 
verse 7 and 8. Great passage. Isaiah 54, verse 7 and 8. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. What a beautiful passage. God does forsake. God does abandon. It's temporary. His love's eternal. Did you catch the contrast there? His love's everlasting. But there's times when you're going to feel forsaken and abandoned by Him. You must be up to something, you would think. Look over at Isaiah 49, verses 14 and following. Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I'll not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. How about that? God says, yeah. We sometimes use these words, forsaken, abandoned. He says, but you really know what's happening, don't you? Though you feel it, it's not reality. Though it's real, it's, there's still something more and greater behind that, and that's the eternal, everlasting love of God, where God says, I know your names. I've inscribed your names on the palms of my hand. I'm never going to forget or forsake or abandon you. So it's like there's two kinds of pain. There's acute and there's chronic. There's two kinds of forsakenness. There's acute and there's chronic God doesn't chronically forsake or abandon. He's eternally with us, for us. One other passage, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Be content. Your situation may be tough. It may look like you're fixing to lose everything. It says just be content. Stay in the moment because you're not deserted. You're not forsaken. I'm there for your deliverance and rescue. Doesn't really give us reasons yet, does it? The pain is real. But so is God's love, His compassion. So is the fact that He continues to hold us in His hands. Go back to Psalm 13 now with me. And notice what David does in verse 2 to try to manage his pain. Did you notice it? He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? That's another way of saying David got alone, turned on his computer, and started searching the internet for a solution. Right? Because it's solo pain management. 
I take counsel in my soul. I'm trying to figure this out myself. And that's exactly what we do. We get on the internet and we start typing in all of our symptoms and we're looking for a solution to fix it. We want the pain to go away. David is doing that. Think about Christ. What did Christ do? When he knew he was beginning to feel anguish because he was bearing our sin and he was preparing for that ultimate sacrifice on Golgotha, he heads out to Gethsemane. Tells his disciples to bow in prayer and he goes a little further and he prays. That's not solo pain management. That's giving your pain to God. And there's a difference. That's still the same situation. God, I... I I wish it was your will to get rid of this pain. I wish it was your will that I didn't have to endure these afflictions, live life without healing, but your will be done, not mine. If it's your will, let me give it to you. Great, great strategy. And that's what Psalm, that's what David's doing in Psalm 13. I hope you see that, that he's giving his pain, his anguish, to God, that's the first step. It's a great step. It's an important step to say, I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to make sure that prayer is a major part of my life. He is before the Lord. Notice that uh, he notices other people in verse 2. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Isn't that just like us? We're in pain and we look out the window or we're on the internet and we look at these other people and it seems like everybody else just has it better. And it seems like they're exalted. Their life is fun. Their life is greater. Why am I in this pain? David was there. And I, re I remember a cartoon. I don't remember a lot of cartoons, but I remember this one. Uh, uh, probably, I, I don't remember whose it was, it's probably Charlie Brown. I used to read that as a kid, you know. But Charlie, so let's say it is. Charlie Brown one time said, you know, loneliness isn't so bad except when you have no one to share it with. When you think about that, I just, I, that just always stuck with me. It's, it, it's so obvious, and it's so right where we are. We're lonely, and we look out, and we look at other people, and we don't even feel like sharing with them because it looks like they've got it together. It looks like they're even exalted. It looks like it's like our enemy is winning, and we're the loser. And life doesn't seem worth sharing sometimes when that's your experience. And that's where David was. He was lonely. He didn't want to tell other people about it. But notice again who he does tell. He tells God. Spend that time. It matters. Spend that time telling God your struggles, your pain. Well, he gives two specific petitions that he's asking for as he spends time with God. And I think these petitions, petitions matter greatly. I encourage you to come here and use these requests of all other requests that you might use. It's just 
for the fact that God listens to our prayers. God, it matters to God. You know, you've seen parents uh, hear their children crying. I, I've done this as a parent. So uh, we're in this room, and the kids are in the next room, and, and we're, we're eating, talking with adults. We're having our adult time, and the kids are out there having their uh, kid time, and all of a sudden, one of them cries. You know, all the parents look around, not my kid, not my kid. Oh, your kid, okay. And the parent doesn't get up. The parent doesn't get up for a couple different cries. Doesn't get up a lot of times if you're training them and teaching them and all this kind of stuff. Doesn't get up for the frustration cry. You know, you can determine cries. Oh, that, they're just frustrated. They didn't get their way. They're, uh, yeah, that was crying. It was frustration. We don't need to do anything about that. Another kind of cry sometimes is jealousy cry, cry. Like somebody just stole my toy and they're mad and then somebody steals the toy back and then they cry. It's like... I think I'm just going to let them work this one out on their own and see how that works. And you don't necessarily get up for every cry. But then a kid cries out, and nobody even asks who's kid. Everybody's jumping up and running. Why? Because they knew now this is a hurt cry. Somebody just got hurt. And we run to that. You don't think God does that? When you pray to Him, God pays attention to your prayer. And if it's just a prayer of frustration, I'm frustrated, God. God may say, yeah, work on that. Or, God, this is kind of a selfish prayer, but I'm praying it anyway. I want his toy. God may say, yeah, let's see how that works. But when you go to God and say, God, I'm in agony here. I'm hurting. It's not my will, but yours be done. But could I get some relief? Why do you tell a prayer like that? Because you hope that if God, who does, have compassion and love, he will get up out of his seat and say, what? You hurt? And he comes to minister to our need. That's what David's doing. So evaluate your prayers and take real pain to God. He acknowledges it. And this is what David said. Note two petitions. The first prayer he asks, or the first request he makes, he petitions God for consideration. See chapter, verse 3, 13. Chapter, verse 3. Consider. Don't miss that word. Circle that word. Consider and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God. A petition for consideration. God, if you would just consider. Consider what? Well, he's already kind of told us. If you just consider how bad off I am. If you would just consider how much it really hurts. If you would just consider where this is taking me. If you would consider how long I can endure. If you would just consider the situation a little bit. Obviously, you're going to have to come off your throne and do something. Consider. You see, if it's really worth God's consideration, it's worth praying, don't you think? It makes us really evaluate our prayer and give it to God. You've all seen those hunger relief advertisements where, uh, you know, for world relief, where they, they show you a picture of a, of a child that's 
barely clothed, if clothed at all, whose you can see bones sticking through the skin, and they're walking miles for water. And why do they show you pictures like that? They want you to consider the plight. They want you to consider the situation. Because if you really considered it, you'll write a check and send money. Because the pain is great. They don't use Hollywood actors for those things. If they do, we would say scam. But they want to use real people with real pain because it moves us. And I encourage you to use in your prayers real people with real pain. And say, God, consider this. This really is something worth your attention. That's what David does. God is a God who considers our pain. Second, he asks for counsel. Verse 3 as well. Enlighten my eyes. That's counsel. I not only need you to consider me, I need you to provide me with understanding. If you see something, if your eyes are enlightened, if they're open wider, you see, you understand, you're receiving counsel. That's what he's asking for. God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why I'm the one that's in this affliction with this pain, and I don't understand why it's not going away. Ask God for counsel. God, I need your consideration. I need you to be moved to come. And he needs deliverance. Verse 4. And my enemy will say I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. He says, he says I'm, I'm about to die here. I'm about to sleep the sleep of death. David says, so, so give me some, some wisdom on how, how to deal with this. How to understand this situation. He asks for Seeing. Now, I've thought about that. What, what does he need to see? I know what I want to see, but what does he need to see to really help him through the affliction? I thought of Stephen. You want to look at that real quick, Acts chapter 7, just a couple of verses there of S- S- Stephen when he was, he was in pain and about to be in a pain of sleep unto death. Acts chapter 7. Let me read a couple verses. Verse uh, 54, 55. Let me just do 55, 56. But, uh, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and he saw. Notice what he sees. The glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see. The heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, the crowd picks up rocks at this point, and they start throwing rocks at Stephen. And he doesn't change his uh, position. As a matter of fact, he, he has such compassion for the people throwing the rocks and praise God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The reason they don't know what they're doing is because they can't see what I see. I've asked for, for seeing, and I look up, And it looks as though the heavens have split. And Christ is off of his throne. And he's pleading for me. He's he's my advocate. He's my intercessor. And he's pleading for me. And so as rocks, you know, start to hit Stephen. He knows one of these is going to kill him. But he's praying for others. What makes the difference? 
Seeing Jesus is what makes the difference. If you're in pain and being pounded with more pain, having an understanding that you're held by Jesus, that you're His, that He's got this, and He's got you, and He's taking you to be with Him, that changes everything. I don't need a lot of other understanding. I just need to see Jesus. Lord, let me see Jesus. Open my eyes that I might see that. Well, I think besides seeing Jesus, God is giving David through this prayer even more enlightenment. I want to just try to unpack that a little bit more for you. As we think about, okay, giving my real pain to God matters in prayer. Having good prayers matters. Seeing Jesus, don't stop praying until you see Jesus. I encourage people, you know, I tell people, read through the Bible every year, and there's, there's times, uh, I say the goal here, my goal is to get all the way through verse by verse every year, but my goal on a particular day has ceased being 3.27 chapters a day. You know, that used to be my goal. Or it used to be three chapters Monday through uh, Saturday and five on Sunday, and I would get all the way through the Bible. Or it used to be a Bible reading plan, and I like all of those things, as long as you've got some sick days thrown in kind of thing. But now what I encourage people to do, because what I'm doing is, if you can mark out the time some way, read until you see Jesus. Read until you are happy in Jesus. Last week, I was reading the book of Luke, and Luke's got some long chapters. I think I had to read like 15 chapters before I saw Jesus. You ever have that kind of day where it's like, God, I'm just so distracted. I'm not seeing you at work. I need to see my life changed and transformed, and I'm not seeing it yet. And so you read and you read until God begins to use His Word to speak to you and change you. Seeing Jesus changes us. It matters. It makes us different. Now I know who's got me and where He's taken me. And it's going to make my day significantly different. Well, some of the counsel I think God gives David besides seeing Jesus he gives him the counsel that pain teaches us contentment with God's ways and words. Can't you see that in David's prayer? God, he, he's asking how long. In other words, God, you hold the puzzle. You hold the pieces. God, you're sovereign. God, I, I, I need to see how this fits in your plan. And I don't just need to see how it fits. What I really need I already know you have a plan. I already know your plan's perfect. I already know your whole... I need, to, I need to be content with that, don't I? Because right now I'm not content. I want this pain in my life gone. And I need to get to a place of contentment. Pain teaches us contentment with God's ways and God's works. It teaches us, you know, because if you, if you grumble and complain, what are you doing? If you grumble and complain, you're saying, God, I know you are sovereign and you've got a plan, but I don't like it. That's complaining. That's grumbling. 
Pain should not be a, uh, the platform for grumbling and complaining. Pain should be the platform for surrender. Lord, you've given me pain, and I'm going to be content with that. I'm going to surrender to your ways, your will, not mine. That's what David's, one of the things that's happening to him as he's praying. God is using these prayers and this pain to bring him to a place of great surrender to God's sovereign ways. Look over at a great passage that goes along with this, 2 Corinthians 4. Love this passage. Love the time God put into the particular words chosen here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Wow, those, you look at those words, the contrast. In other words, this everyday affliction, this every way affliction, it has purpose and significance. And as Paul is considering it, it says, wow. When, when you see that you're, you're, you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out, he says, uh, that's pretty significant. I can live with that. I could get content with that. If in my body something significant as the dying of Jesus was occurring, look at verse 16 to the end. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Momentary light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See enlightenment again? Something's happening with his eyes here. He says, I have the ability with my eyes to see a sovereign plan of God. Something people don't see, I'm seeing. And seeing that brings me greater contentment. That's what pain often does for us. It brings us face-to-face -face with God and His wonderful work. Another reason, pain not only teaches us contentment, B, pain takes us, makes us face the reality of more than we can bear. And I'm going to add to that. I'm going to combine B and D. How about that? Save you one whole point. Pain makes us face the reality of more than we can bear and the need for inner transformation. Let's think about that. God makes us face the reality of pain, but also the need for inner transformation. Um, I don't know how many people I've heard, it's way too many, say, you know, God will never give you more than you can bear. Why do we say that? That has never been helpful to me. Like, well, gee, thanks. It doesn't relieve anything. It doesn't 
enlighten me? And it's a lie. It's from the pits of hell. It's a scheme of the devil to divert our attention from our need for Jesus. Why did Jesus even come to earth? Because we cannot bear our own sin. Who said God's never going to give me more than I can bear? God gives me his holiness. I can't bear that. Because I'm a sinner. I can't pay for my own sin. I can't face his holiness. I have no advocate but him. I need Jesus. I need someone who can bear what I can't bear. So forget that lie and don't use it anymore. What is the gospel? The gospel is, is, is good news. God's not going to give you more than you can bear. No. The gospel is, you can't bear it, but Jesus can. That's good news. Let Jesus have your sin. Let Jesus have your pain. Let Jesus face this for you. Let him bear your afflictions. Let him be crushed for your iniquities. Good news. We need to see we cannot face reality without Jesus. Every day I need Jesus. Always I need Jesus. Because life is more than I can bear. It's more than I can bear. And when we see, maybe pain pushes us there. When we get to the place, you know, David said, how long, how long, how long? I can't bear it, I can't bear it, I can't bear it, I can't bear it any longer. And God says, bingo, yes, hope you get that. I hope you start living life as though you can't do it all. Because that's where, exactly where I want to get you. Because then you see how much you need me. And you see how much you need an inner transformation. You need new life in me. And that's, I think, exactly what's happening to David through this. Um, good news. You know, do you ever uh, share that with your doctor? I think it would be a great uh, discussion. Where the doctor comes, you know, you, you're wanting pain relief. That's why you're there. And so the doctor is trying to help you with your problem, comes and says, okay, Based on what we've discerned from all of our tests and x-rays and all that stuff, we can either do this or we can do that. And you say, okay, why are you wanting to do those? Because that's going to give you some relief. Or sometimes the doctor comes in and says, you know, we could do this or we could do that, but it's not really going to work. You don't have much time. Why don't we just do something to manage the pain? All, both scenarios is pain management. What can we do to give relief? Now, here's the question for your doctor. Throw your doctor this question. Well, doc, that sounds great. I appreciate you doing the research, coming up with those options. Which one of those options will help me be more like Jesus? Which one will transform me into the image of Christ? And he probably, he's, or she's always a smart person. They're physicians. So they'll probably stay out of it and say something like, well, that's between you and Jesus, I suppose. But do you see where I'm going with this? 
Where I'm going is if, if you take the option for pain relief and it makes you less like Jesus, then the pain was making you. You didn't take a step forward. You took a step backwards. In other words, pain relief is not the goal here. But transformation into the image of Christ is the goal here. And if I take the option that makes me less like Christ, I'm not taking a good option. What is the goal? The goal is I want to know Jesus, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. God, I want to know You. The power of Your resurrection and the fellowship of Your suffering. Don't let me miss that. Let me be content with what you're doing to conform me to the image of Christ and not constantly be trying to pick options that make me less than what your design is for me. Now, I'm not in any way saying you shouldn't seek pain relief. Go ahead and do it. You heard me. But do it the right way. Do it with a sovereign God leading, guiding, directing you as you've prayed through and considered the purposes of this affliction that God has given you. It should be teaching you contentment with God and His ways. It should be making you face the reality that He wants to transform you into the image of Christ. Number three, pain brings us more consistently before the throne of grace. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 16. I'll try to step it up here, get you through the rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you draw near to God in time of need? Because in drawing near, you get mercy. You do get help. One of the, I hated saying this, but it's just, it's just, it's a true statement. I hated saying this as a parent that some of the most, the best times as a parent were when my kids were sick. And when they were afflicted. And the reason I would say that is because when they're sick and when they were afflicted, they never complained about letting me hold them and rock them or sit with them in a chair or lay down with them on a bed. And we could hold each other and be near each other for hours. Why? Because pain drove them into my arms and it drove me into their arms. And what I'm saying here is, do you see the significance of being near someone? Do you see the significance of being near God? Pain drives you in to the arms of God. And God says that's a good place to be because that's where you find grace and mercy. He says, therefore, run into my arms and let me hold you and let me give you what you need. Uh, it does matter that God loves us and wants to be that near us. Pain brings us consistently to the throne of grace. Uh, e, pain teaches us to abandon American individualism. But that's, a, that's an enlightenment that I saw here in Psalm 13 that David is, is acknowledging. You know, if you're the king, if you're rich, if you've got everything, sometimes it's tough to acknowledge you can't do it by yourself. 
You can't do life alone. But the fact that he's coming to prayer, he is acknowledging, coming to God in prayer, he's acknowledging, I can't do this alone. Great. Great enlightenment. Great understanding because you were never intended to. Very first pages of Scripture. God teaches us that He has designed life with two different genders, with two different sets of abilities, that we are male and female, and uh, male and female produce families, and we need each other. And God is showing us, what is He showing us strongly? He says, of all the things I've created, I want you to understand this, it is not good for man to do life alone. We need each other. Men need women. Women need men. They need families. Families need the church. God has designed us with gifts and abilities that help us because life is full of affliction. We need elders to pray. We need deacons to serve. We need people to bring meals. We need people to sit and be a companion. We need people to write notes. We need people to pray. Every private affliction needs a public church. Don't try to do life alone. You were never meant to do life alone. God has designed us to need others, to need God, to need others. And then... Pain teaches us to minister to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. You know, why, why do you sometimes get out of bed and, and come to church anyway? This is one of the reasons. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Love that description. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Here's the purpose. So that, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Sometimes the only reason we are in pain and afflicted, catch this, it's not about us. Sometimes it's about someone else. God says, I want you to be able to comfort other people in any affliction, and enable, to enable you or to train you and prepare you to comfort others, I've got to afflict you. And I want you to learn from your afflictions so that you can comfort others. There's times when you get out of bed and say, God, I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like pushing on, but I have a task. I need to see someone. I need to encourage someone. I need to pray for someone. Because I know they're going through what I've gone through. Or what I'm going through. And I know I was given this affliction for the very purpose of taking care of them. Encouraging them. Ministering to right where they are. Well, Psalm 13 just abruptly changes. After all of that pain, affliction, and enlightenment, you come down to verse 5 and 6. And it's like, wait, it's a whole different psalm. It says, but I've trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Wow, that's a great way to end it. Rejoicing, praise. Again, what, who, who flipped the switch? 
How did we go from such pain and no healing to such praise? I love verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. You know something that just naturally happens when you pray and pray through your pain to God? You begin thinking you want deliverance, so you're thinking of deliverance. And in those prayers, you begin remembering. The Holy Spirit actually reminds you of times God has already delivered you and of things He's already done in your life and through you. He says, I remember all the times He has dealt so bountifully with me. You know, I start praying, God, I need you to do something here. The Holy Spirit starts reminding me, you know, that time you should have died in that car accident? Yeah, that was cool the way you delivered. Or that time you were rock climbing and you fell and you should have been suspended until you died? Yeah, that was cool how you did that. Or that time you were in that propane gas explosion and everybody should have just passed away, but you're still here? Or that time you were having that conflict with that person and they had a gun in their pocket and it could have gone sideways. And you start remembering all of these things and you say, wow, God, you have been so good to me. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to praise you. I just want to adore you. Yeah, the pain I'm going through, it's chronic. But I can still sing. And I can still praise because God's still on his throne. He still has spared me time after time after time. And that's going to be enough. Let's pray together. Father, I realize we could linger here because this is so right where we live. There are people in this room that are hurting right now and they know I'm speaking about things that they're intimately acquainted with. They hurt. Father, help us to help them in that hurt. Help us to be the church. Forgive us when we've thought more of our pleasure than their pain. Forgive us when we fail to pray. When we fail to hold one another up. Lord, Enable us more and more as the family of God to be there for each other. Thank you for so, so many faithful people here in this room that are using their afflictions for you. Father, help us all to embrace your work in our lives more and more. To seek your consideration of our particular situation because it's different than others. But help us to get the counsel we need. Help us to move forward, doing your will, for your will, for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for letting us meet you today. What a joy to be with you, to have this time in your word. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.